0: Good morning. Our first reading today comes from Ezekiel, chapter 14, beginning at verse 1, and can be found on page 1198. And the heading is Idolaters Condemned. Some of the elders of Israel came to me and sat down in front of me. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, these men have set up idols in their hearts. And put wicked stumbling blocks before their faces. Should I let them inquire of me at all? Therefore speak to them and tell them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. When any of the Israelites set up idols in their hearts and put a wicked stumbling block before their faces and then go to a prophet, I, the Lord, will answer them myself in keeping with their great idolatry. I will do this to recapture the hearts of the people of Israel who have all deserted me for their idols. Therefore say to the people of Israel, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, repent, turn from your idols and renounce all your detestable practices.
1: And then we'll continue with um, our reading from Romans from last week. So if you would turn with me to page 1,600, we'll start in um, Romans 1, 18 to 23, and continue from there. So Romans 1, 18 to 23. <clears throat> For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. And then jumping down to 2. Chapter 2, verse starting at verse 1. <clears throat> you, therefore, have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them, and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? And then down to uh, verse 17. Now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and boast in God, If you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then, who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you.
2: Well, we're in our second week of our series through the book of Romans, and that, uh, you'll probably agree, is quite a, quite a heavy reading. We didn't read all of it, and you might have a closer look in your small groups over the next uh, couple of weeks at this passage. But it certainly is a bit confronting, isn't it? Particularly because we live in a world that is full of positive affirmation. It seems like we are required to be positive about others, you know, giving compliments and encouragements and, you know, avoiding criticism and disagreements if we can. We're told that we need to keep being positive with our kids, otherwise they'll feel discouraged and feel bad about themselves. Or if we are working well and no one's noticing, then we get frustrated. Or uh, we're being told or we're told to tell our kids that, you, know, you are special. You're amazing. You are great just the way you are. And so we feel this need for positive affirmation. And so we can be we can be shocked and disappointed when that doesn't come our way. Uh, it's an Olympic year and uh, the Games will be in Paris. And the person that we don't want to think about when it comes to the Olympics is the person who finished fourth fourth is the worst place to finish in the olympics uh so last olympics uh guatemala a little country of guatemala had their hopes on an olympic medal with this guy kevin cordon in badminton he had a surprisingly great run through the early stages and made it through to the finals but sadly he lost the bronze medal match you can see the disappointment in his eyes he finished fourth and so he doesn't get to stand on the, the, the dais. He doesn't get a medal. And that doesn't sit right with us. But don't worry, I found out this week that if you finish in the top eight in the Olympics, you get an Olympic diploma. So he got something <laughs> to take away with him. So affirming. But we take this attitude into our Christian faith as well. We want a God who encourages us and affirms us and rewards us and loves us but god don't go don't go looking down on my behavior or or don't burst my bubble that i'm amazing just the way that i am or don't tell me i don't deserve your blessing please well as you may have heard that's exactly what our passage does this morning it's such a difficult passage to listen to and to think through because god is so critical of humanity He's so condemning of us he's so blunt that we almost can't take it we don't want to hear it i don't want to hear it because we can think and the people out there can think if god is so great how can he be angry at us if god is so loving why does he judge us if he's worth following then why is he like this And particularly because last week, in our first week of the Roman series, we heard these verses. It says, uh, Paul the Apostle writes, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the news of Jesus, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, in the news of Jesus, the righteousness of God is revealed. As we hear of Jesus, then the righteousness of God is shown to us. We see God's righteousness. We see that God is doing right by himself and by humanity. But how is God doing right when he is expressing his wrath, his anger? How is God seen as righteous when he brings condemnation? Is that a God worth following? Are his actions right? Well, if we receive what God is telling us today then we will see God is right. We'll have greater confidence in his character and hopefully greater urgency to share the gospel with others. So here's where we're going today. The big question is, is God righteous in his wrath? And so firstly, is his wrath deserved? Come again to Romans chapter 1. We're picking it up from verse 18. And have a look as we go through. Firstly, we see the wrath of God is coming. So God's anger, his judgment against all that is wrong and evil. This is being revealed. We're now able to see it. It's being revealed from heaven against the godlessness and wickedness of people. So we've got people described in two ways. So why is the wrath of God coming? It's against the godlessness of people. That is, our relationship with God is broken. And it's against the wickedness of people. Our behavior leading from our broken relationship with God is uh, condemn-worthy. And why, do we do, why does humanity do this? It says, uh, the people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So what's going on here? We know something is true of God he is our creator. He is worthy of worship, but we suppress this truth. We suppress it. this is this is what God's saying about us and about all of all people. It's it's almost outrageous to think that we as humans actively suppress something that is good and true about God because we prefer wickedness. How could God say that to people, particularly in this day and age? But that's what god is saying today you know how could god condemn people you know some, some people don't even think there is a god how could god condemn them well, let's see how god can do this It's not exactly uh the case have a look at verse 19 since uh so he's con- he's uh the wrath of god's cut revealed t- towards them since what may be known about god is plain to them because god has made it plain to them for since the creation of the world god's invisible qualities his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so what's it saying here okay we're suppressing a truth so there is a truth that we know it's a truth about god and it's a truth that's revealed in what has been made in creation And so, uh, we we have this knowledge of God. It's not something that we. It's not something that we don't have. What's my next song? Oh, there we go. God's eternal power and His divinity—the fact that He is God—that is revealed in creation. We see in Psalm nineteen that says, "The heavens declare the glory of God." The skies proclaim the works of his hands. And so let me share one travel snap from my life, <laughs> if you'll indulge me. Um, we were by a lake in, um, in our travels, and this was um, at sunrise. Looking at that. Look at the beauty of it. Look at the, you know, God made the sun, which changes colors of things. As it rises, you may be able to see the little dots in the water. Uh, uh, were hundreds of ducks. God made each of those. Uh, in the reeds, the little detail in each in each reed. God has made. We can. We don't know everything about God from what He has made, but we can see that there is that He is God. He has done an amazing thing in making our creation. And he's powerful. He's powerful. And we should be able to see that just by looking at nature. We should be able to recognize that. But we have enough knowledge to know that God is worthy of worship. And so we should respond in thanksgiving. If he's given us everything, we should be thankful to him. We have no excuse not to worship God. So why, as a human race, why don't we? Why don't we? We know this truth about God, that he is our creator, but we suppress it. We actively push it down out of our consciousness. We actively deny and go against this knowledge. Why would we do that? I was watching a documentary on a a plane, and uh, there was a section about the safety of cars. Uh, And... uh, If you remember, cars weren't super safe back in the day. When I was a kid, I I was in a Volvo station wagon. Anyone else have a Volvo station wagon? We got them because... Well, parents got them because we were the only... That was the only safe car, basically, on the road at the time. And car companies, they knew how to make cars safer back in the day. They knew this truth. But they suppressed that truth. Why? Why? Because then they didn't have to spend money upgrading their cars. They didn't want to embrace this good truth. They rejected that truth. They suppressed it so they could carry on in their wicked greed. And the documentary explained that when someone invented the ANCAP safety rankings and tested the cars, they showed everyone how unsafe the cars were. That was the only thing that turned it around. So why would we suppress the truth about God? Well, if we didn't, if we accepted this truth about God, if we accepted His deity and His power, then we'd have to acknowledge that He's in charge. We'd have to listen and do what He says. We'd have to accept that we're accountable to Him as His creatures. And we don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. And so, what happens? What happens? What is the effect of suppressing the truth about God? It's like a car crash. Have a look at verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, as he deserves, nor gave thanks to him, as he deserves, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. See here, rejecting God, the source of all goodness and truth, leads to thoughts and feelings that are dark and futile. And then a great exchange happens. Jump down to verse 22. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Or in verse 25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things Rather than the Creator. See the exchange here? So we don't have God as our sovereign and worship Him. We exchange this. We don't worship Him. And instead, we worship things of this world. Things that are not so demanding of us. Things that won't hold us to account. And the ultimate God we exchange for is ourselves. We make ourselves God. We make ourselves put ourselves in charge. Because then we get to rule our own lives. We get to set our own standards. We get to do what we want. Sounds amazing. Sounds like freedom. Sounds exactly like what Adam and Eve thought in the garden. Because first and foremost, it's thoroughly offensive to God who made us. To be rejected by those whom he carefully made whom he has given so much and exchange for the things that he's made and then for them to live in ways that are contrary to the loving community god planned for us it's utterly breaking the relationship with god and it leads to disaster in our lives oh, that's as we worship create there we go um and it leads to disaster in our lives And this is why God's wrath is on us. Because we saw this morning, sometimes the worst thing you can give to a child is what they really want. What their heart's desire is. Because their heart's desire and our heart's desire is often bad for us. And God gives them the private jet. He gives them... Uh, inexhaustible money, so to speak. He gives us what we want. That's the next thing. Have a look at verse 24. I'll put it up on the screen. There's a few verses coming up. Therefore God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts. God gave them over to shameful lusts. God gave them over to a deprived mind so that they ought, they do what they ought not to be done. He gives over, gives us over to the consequences of our lifestyle without Him. And if you keep reading through the chapter, you see the long list of evil behavior that is the result. And so God's wrath revealed is God giving us over to what we desire, which is a life without him. So therefore, we shouldn't be surprised when we look around our world and we go, oh, The evil of people, whether locally or globally. That is from humanity turning away from God and God in his wrath handing us over to our evil desires. But is God right to do this? Is he acting righteously? Well, if we reject God in his ways, it's a personal rejection of our creator, and so but then and then he leaves us to do what we want. So we get what we want. It would not be right because it's such an offence to him, such an offence to how we should be, it would not be right for him not to act. It would be unrighteous if he did nothing. Evil can't go unpunished. But God's wrath would only be fair, oh sorry, it would it would also only be righteous if it was fair. Across humanity. And so in chapter two, Paul deals with two groups of people who might think that they are above God's judgment. So we need to ask the question, is God's wrath fair? Have a look at verse two. Sorry, chapter two, verse one. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. Because there may be, there may be people who read the Romans 1 and go, "Well, that's not me. That's other people. I know people like that, but it's not me." And so they judge others. They condemn others. We see this all the time. It might be the conservatives who condemn anyone or anything woke. It might be the progressives who think that any institutionalized morality or religion should be abandoned. So, you know, basically anyone on Twitter, on X, or it might be people who are in the middle and they look to the left, they look to the right and go so extreme. Or it could be simple as simple as looking at us looking at how a neighbour lives and thinking, Well, at least I'm not like them. But are we above God's judgment? Let's see what God's uh, what the righteous God has to say. It says, You therefore have no excuse you who pass judgment on someone else For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself. Because you pass judgment, because you who pass judgment do the same things. The truth is none of us are morally clean. None of us are perfect in virtue. And just because we judge others might make us think that we're better, more righteous. But God sees the truth. God sees our heart. The standard that we apply to other people, we don't even keep that ourselves. And so God goes on to say, I'm not going to show any favoritism. I will judge each person based on what they do, on their works, on their deeds. And so he says, for those who are self-seeking, who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. And I'm in that category. You're in that category. God's wrath and his judgment is based on our deeds. None of us stack up. We all fall short. And there's one more group that Paul singles out, particularly who he's writing to in the at the time, in the first century. Uh, the Jewish people might have thought that they were above God's judgment. After all, they're God's chosen people. They've been given the law to... Uh, They've been given extra revelation, not just revelation from creation. They've got the law of God. They know God's will. That's a great thing. It's an honor to be a Jewish person. They have the mark of circumcision to show that they are God's people. And so they might have been thinking, oh, well, we're not like the Gentiles who practice all this idolatry. But God says to them, have a look at verse 21. You then, speaking about the Jews, you who teach others... Do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonour God by breaking the law? See, even the Jews can't follow their own standard of God's law. We saw in our first reading how even they turned to idols through their history. And what Paul goes on to say in chapter 2 is it's not just being a Jew that matters to God. It's actually being Jewish, relating to God rightly, having a heart up towards God. And so Paul says, a person is not a Jew who is only one outwardly, doing the outward things of Jewishness, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. What it's saying is, it's what inward that is what counts. How your heart is towards God, not the externals. And so finally, after all this, this long argument, we get God's Verdict. And God's conclusion comes. Uh, And Paul expresses it in a a classic Pharisee way of of teaching. Uh, If there's a point to be made, let's pile all the scriptures that make this point on top of one another. That's what happens at the start of chapter 3. Have a quick look there. Sorry, not uh, the middle of chapter 3. Verse 10. As it is written, so again, from the Old Testament scriptures, it says, There is no one righteous, not even one, There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one, and it keeps on going and going and going. No one is righteous. All are under the wrath of God. Whether we actively suppress the truth by our wickedness, whether we think we're better than others, whether we have the externals of godly religion, all are under God's wrath. And it's a, God's, God is righteous in this because it's deserved. We haven't worshipped God as we ought. And we've done great wickedness to one another. It's deserved, God's wrath is deserved, and it's fair. God looks past any moral superiority or religiousness. He knows our hearts. And we all come up short. So where does that leave us as humanity? This is devastating for us as humanity. Well, God in his grace is telling us this. Not to push us down further. But to point us to his grace to come. And so next week, we will see, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. The law, we can't, we're not going to get to righteousness by the law. We've, we've suppressed the truth. We've done wicked things. We're not going to get there. We need some other way to come to God. And so for ourselves, we need to recognize we are not morally superior to other people. We are not part of God's family because we're better. We've done better. No, we are all, no one is righteous as a base. We are fellow beggars in need of bread. We need God to take away our arrogance and our pride through his word today. To know that without him, this would be our final verdict. And we need to turn to the grace. That we'll hear about next week. But finally... If this is the situation for all humanity, then we need to realise, we need to realise what this means for all people. And so as we, as we come to a year of helping others encounter Jesus, if we see the depths of where they stand before God, then, then we'll be motivated to help them know Jesus. Because the people we know may, be, well, may well be respectable. They will may well be nice. But like all humanity, they're under the wrath of God. And so maybe as you walk home or drive home today, as you see someone driving their car, as you see someone walk past, just think in your head. They are under God's wrath, in need of saving. Let's see how that changes our hearts as we seek uh, to engage others and to help others encounter Jesus so that they may well escape God's wrath through the death and sacrifice of his son.